Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. I first met today's guests at the Illinois Music Ed Conference in Peoria, Illinois at the beginning of 2019. And I had been working in the Eastman booth and I heard these fantastic sounds coming from just around the corner. Went over and lo and behold, it was a natural trumpet uh, booth that was there, but unlike anything I had seen before, uh, Kirsty Montgomery, is the historian and the storyteller really behind Brass for Beginners. And I met and chatted with her a bit, and then she introduced me to her husband, Chris Hasselbring. And uh, I think a good relationship started there. Uh, Finally had a chance to sit down and talk with them about what they're trying to do and just, I think, what the positive impact can be by uh, showing what natural trumpet can do in... uh, early music education, and also how these instruments that they've developed have really allowed uh, trumpet players to get into natural and Baroque trumpet playing uh, at a much uh, friendlier price point, I guess the easy way to put it. So here is today's interview with Chris Hasselbring and Kirsty Montgomery. Please enjoy. I haven't had to put an explicit rating on my podcast yet, so if you're, if you're prone to swearing... <laughs> Yeah, see? <laughs> I'm she's a, yeah, she's is it, a putty mouth. Well, so. yeah. aren't thank all Brits? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? I will tone down my... Yeah, okay, my thank language. you. <laughs> I'll, I'll bleep out what I can. Yeah, you won't have to worry about me. I'm so, no, and I'm, I'm being totally funny on that. So, I'm here today with Chris... <laughs> oh, this, this is going to be one of the better ones, I can tell already. Uh, Chris Hasselbring and Kirsty. Christy. Kirsty. 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 We got it right the first time. I, I play in an orchestra. I sit right behind Kirsten, who is a clarinetist, and right in front of her is Kristen. And so 17 confusing. years I've been a part of that orchestra, and I mm-hmm. still I still mess it up. Kirsty is a very common name Kirstie. in the UK. It's a Scottish name. Yeah. And, oh. uh, but not over here. Not over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirsty Alley is the only one that I can think of. That's, yeah, and she spells it differently. Oh. Uh, so congratulations to you on finishing your doctorate. Thank you. Are you going to walk? Are you going to actually go through the... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, rain or shine. <laughs> I should be there. And that's this weekend? Saturday, yeah. And your degree is from Northwestern? No, no. It's I work at Northwestern. It's from University of Chicago. Oh. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. And again, the degree is in... Uh, it's in British history, but I studied economic and political thought in... 19th century Britain. So. Now, the reason that you're part of this is, and this is for a lot of people, you know, that are going to listen to this podcast, this can maybe hopefully will be an introduction to Brass for Beginners. But I was just telling her, of course I want her here because when I met you guys, it was like part and parcel. This belongs together. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the trumpet side of things and the history side of things, absolutely, I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, let's kind of start there. This is Brass for Beginners, mm -hmm. and I don't want to sound like it's, uh, you guys are kind of exploding across the scene. <laughs> and, and here's what, I'm, what I want to say. You guys are setting the trumpet world back a few hundred years. You know that, yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, well we, we never learned from our mistakes back then, so now we gotta, got to do our best to try. I, I, I thought we were, I mean, all history is written in the present, right? So I think we are firmly in the present, mm. setting the trumpet world forward for ah. several hundred years. Okay. Well, I agree, but Maybe. I told you I was going to try to be funny about that. Uh, oh. Be funny about that. No, and you know, it's, it's, I think, terribly exciting. My wife, who's a violinist, disagrees. Now, mm. She has yet to, to embrace the sound of the natural trumpet, the broke mm. trumpet yet to embrace mm -hmm. um, but I'm thrilled about what you guys are doing because it's I think it reinvigorates the world of trumpet there's so many options now that are becoming available at a much better uh, the instruments are fantastic first of all and mm -hmm. I don't want you to charge any more than you're already charging <laughs> but you're making it mm -hmm. you're making it so that it's accessible to such a wide range of, of mm -hmm players and uh, even weekend warriors, as it were, uh, but you've got people with the Met, you've got some major players out there who, in fact, let's talk about uh, Ray Riccamini, is that mm -hmm. right, of, of the Metropolitan Opera right. Orchestra, who just won an audition on one of your instruments. That's right. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I was, I was rolling back up from... Illinois. Is that where we saw you? In Illinois, fact, MEA. Illinois. Yes. I rolled in here to unpack my stuff here at the factory, and I and I heard a ka-ching on the online store, and I looked at it, and it was for the Baroque, but we were sold out of that prototype production batch, mm -hmm. and I and I saw this as oh geez, I forgot to zero out the you know the inventory on that, and so I thought well I'll I'll call this guy and you know see see what he you know what what he needs it for, and he told me that. He told me that he needed it for an audition, and I thought, oh, he must not know what he's talking about, because who plays a natural trumpet on an audition? He said, well, this is for mostly Mozart in New York City, and I was like, okay. And he said, well, I called the principal trumpet, and he said that we had to play modern, rotary, and natural trumpet in the final round. He said, and I, you know, I was looking online, and I saw this video that uh, somebody did on Brahms with hand stopping, and... I thought, well, and I looked into the instrument, I thought, that might be perfect for me because, hmm. you know, I could put my own mouthpiece in it. It just looked really easy to hold. So, and I thought, well, I knew that we had, like, a couple bells at the factory. I, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll go and I'll look. I'll see if we can put something together. How, when do you need it? And he's like, tomorrow, you know. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and at the end of the conversation, I said, do you mind if I ask what you do? I thought he was going to be a student because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I still didn't think he was really going to need it for an audition and he said well I'm second trumpet in the Met Opera and I said oh okay <laughs> and um, anyway so I came back and I was able to put something together for him mm -hmm. and then a, I didn't hear anything and a couple months later I get a text and he said hey I won the audition <laughs> and so I talked to him about it and <clears throat> it was interesting because they had like 14 people there you know with their replicas and their broke mouthpieces and he said that um you know, it seemed like they were a little bit jealous of him because the horn just looked very manageable. He was able to use his own mouthpiece. It was an easy transition for him. Um, Did he use vented or was it straight uh, two-hole system? I don't know <laughs> if he used the vented yard. I think on that video he made, I think I saw him covering the holes, mm -hmm. but I don't think he even used them. You don't really need to for that rep. I mean, he was mm -hmm. playing all second parts. You know, and that that's actually really hard to do. Like that Beethoven nine, <laughs> Ode to Joy second part is, mm -hmm. you know, that takes some practice. But oh, Turkish march. Uh, well, I was thinking Ode to Joy actually. Oh, and the, the, the finale. second trumpet right. part. You know, those parts always jump around so much. And so anyway, it made us realize that we had an opportunity with this trumpet because of its shorter profile to make a classical trumpet. I mean, it plays well as a broke trumpet, so we're going to offer that in. You know. The standard C and D at 415, mm -hmm. but we realized that we can keep making it shorter. So we're going to take it all the way up to F, down to A. We're getting, you know, I think we have like most of these keys covered already, mm -hmm. and it's a nice option if you're going to play some Mozart. You know, why play it on a C trumpet when you could play it 
on a C natural trumpet. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. much more challenging. And the, the main thing is the, the sound to me. It's like once you've experienced like playing in a section with natural trumpets, you just cannot create a sound like that on modern trumpets. There's a reason conductors want to, are starting to want to hear this sound. Yeah, and you know that's that's kind of an issue. Yeah. Um, I live in Indianapolis, and the mm -hmm. Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra has incorporated natural trumpets into some uh, productions, uh, semi-stage productions, like mm -hmm. some Mozart. Wow. Um, and the trumpet players have met that uh, pretty well and mm -hmm. sound terrific on it. Uh, and the the music director, current music director, I think is trying to incorporate more, uh, the next step was going to be natural horn. Mm -hmm. But the horn players were like, look, there's going to be a list of things. We mm -hmm. won our job on a, on a valve, or, right. or, or not a piston, but a valved instrument. You can't judge our performance on a valveless instrument because they are two different animals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I can appreciate their perspective on that. And, you know, they're like, first of all, the orchestra is going to have to buy the instruments. They're going to have to, you know, they wanted lessons incorporated into into that, which I think is valid because it's a performance practice. But then the argument is, well, what about the woodwinds? And what about all the strings? Are you going to mm -hmm. have everybody go back to the Baroque uh, actual period instruments? Mm -hmm. um, trumpets seem like a logical place to start, though. And the, the trumpets and timpani... Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah, Tiffany. Blend, I think these, right. these blend so well right. with that. Well, I mean, I would argue that the trumpet is the, the most different of all of these instruments. I mean, you, you know, you're playing on an instrument twice the length, and you're playing on an instrument at fixed length in the section. I mean, you're, you're just, the, the sound is so different than even the horn, like from valve to, to modern, because it's still a really long horn, right? Mm -hmm. You're still getting all those overtones in the sound. But with the trumpet, going from a short trumpet to a natural trumpet, it's just a huge difference mm -hmm. compared to, I think, any other instrument mm -hmm. and in terms of how you play. Because French horns are used to that harmonic series. Yes. Right? They're always playing on that. So it's different, but it's not as different as it is for trumpeters. So I think they should have hazard pay. Um, <laughs> like that. You know, they should have hazard pay because it's mm -hmm. a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So, we're talking about a pro playing your instruments, but the name of the company is Brass for Beginners. Mm. So, this is not where you intended, maybe from the very beginning, mm -hmm. to, to go. Let's back up and talk about mm -hmm. maybe what is Brass for Beginners and what your initial concept was and, you know, sure. how uh, history played into this. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really happened just because I wanted my students to have the opportunity to learn a natural trumpet. So, I figured out... Well, I brought a replica into my studio. It was very uncomfortable for them to hold. Uh, the mouthpiece was uncomfortable to play on. They couldn't cover the holes. They couldn't reach them. It really didn't work. And then a friend of mine, um, uh, Bob Reeder, who got me started on natural trumpet, he said, well, why don't you just take a modern bell and stick some hose on it? And I realized <laughs> you could kind of keep the lead pipe in place. Mm. And I... I made one and my students had a great experience with that. It was like very similar to what they were used to. And they really enjoyed the challenge of playing, picking parts, you know, without having valves to help them out. And it, it just, there were so many benefits for their playing. And eventually we got the idea that this would be a good way to start beginners. Along the way, and that, and we started like a, you know, like a typical beginning band method. You learn whole, whole notes, half notes, rhythms, get around the harmonic series. And then uh, I met uh, Kirsten Montgomery, and we started talking about the fact that these students were really curious about this instrument and where it came from, and like, what was the who was the first guy that played a trumpet? And it was Gabriel, right? I think so. The angel <laughs> We think it was Ragnar, um, who was living in the Upper Paleolithic period. And anyway, we over time we realized that. Uh, there were some opportunities to bring a, a much deeper kind of learning experience into it. And that the instrument was such a great bridge to the past because it's at a fixed length, like all early lip-blown instruments are, right? And you can use it as a part of a sequence. Like as, the, as we go through history, they get longer. And then you can play more and more notes on them, which leads us to eventually J.S. Bach, right? You missed out a very important point. Oh, no. Um, part of what happened was that Chris was 
telling this oh, that's right. really absurd embarrassing. story to his students about the fact that the first trumpeter was a Paleolithic caveman who uh, was scaring away his dog with uh, by blowing. A, um, well, he was blowing up a fire yeah. with a stick, and he had a little too much honey wine, and <coughs> and the thing kind of rang. He caught that right thing, and the dog ran away. <laughs> Well, That's and then I, I said, and I, and then I, I, I looked as if your nose was growing because <laughs> I knew that that was complete rubbish right. because there were no domesticated dogs in the Paleolithic period. Mm. Uh, and, and so then I said, well, this is clearly, you need some help with this <laughs> um, to get your history in order. Had you had any background with um, music or trumpet to this point? Uh, oh, no, no. Good Lord, no. No, I, I, I played the cello for two weeks, if that counts. Pretty. Um, was that by court order or by choice? <laughs> no, well, uh, it, it lasted two weeks because mm -hmm. I, I ran out of school in England with the one of the two school cellos and smashed it to pieces as I fell, and that was the end of my cello career. Oh. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, I appreciate music, and, and I, I certainly, as, as Chris was kind of describing how he was, you know, inter integrating the history of Lipburn instruments into his teaching... I could certainly obviously appreciate that mm -hmm. and, and also appreciate that um, history can be very dry and I hated history at school, I, was, I thought it was so boring and I think part of it was that he, he was kind of really kind of highlighting the way that history can be made interesting because for these kids, you know, it was, mm. he was hitting all the key points, all the, the civilizations that you would cover in school, mm -hmm. all the things that the kids would see at museums, all the kind of stuff that they really enjoyed was all in mm -hmm. the history of lip learning instruments. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I could, uh, you know, for me, it was a very obvious kind of connection that we could both build on. So is that mm -hmm. where you began the research or, and then created this character that uh, is in your, your um, is that a method book or is, you don't? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. Method book. Method, we, it's a history book. We mm -hmm. started with, I mean, I mean, Chris started the, the, the project. He'd written like two or three versions of a, of a kind of a, of a method book. Mm -hmm. And then we, we did another version of the book. Oh, it's like the seventh version we're on now. But at some point or other, we realized that it, it needed something else. It couldn't be just dry mm -hmm. kind of, you know, fact-based history but we also didn't want to let go of that because that stuff's important too you know mm -hmm. we didn't want fake facts so um then we created ragnar mm. um i don't know if we'd been drinking or something <laughs> when we created ragnar but mm. well whoever drew him was or had been drinking. <laughs> 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 well actually no it was it was one of my mm. it was the chair of my dissertation committee at the university of chicago who gave mm -hmm. ragnar his name mm -hmm. he's, he's a swede he said this he has to have a Scandinavian name. Mm. So it was even though he's from France. From France. Yeah. I'm gonna put a link, of course, in the in the show <laughs> notes to the to the website, but I have a copy of the book and I think it's beautifully illustrated. Mm. And uh, what age or age levels, uh, grade levels are you had you designed that book? It's designed readability for a third grade and up. And um, we've used it with adult students. Actually we're starting a class for Lifelong Learners in uh, mm -hmm. Chicago this fall. Mm -hmm. um, it's being used in brass methods classes. So students who are studying brass methods are reading this story, and they're finding it really fun. It's a really fun way to learn about the history of lip instruments, and it's loaded with, like, teaching moments. We're trying to, you know, help students to understand why they do things, why they practice, um, and how things evolved and why we do things how we do now. Mm -hmm. um, also the origins of music in terms of how they kind of emerge in, along with uh, human culture. Um, so that it, the, the why, I mean, I think that the question you kept asking yeah. is like, so what? Yeah, why, right, is why is this important? And, mm. and we, we are always thinking about, yeah, sorry. Um, no, no, I was, I was actually gonna get to that, that we, one of the turning points between the previous version of the book and then Ragnar appearing um, apart from the additional alcohol that was consumed um, was that we went to EMAP so um, European Music Archaeology Project in Viterbo in Italy mm -hmm. and we were presenting on behalf of the Historic Brass Society mm -hmm. and that was a essentially a very dry 
kind of conference about, mm. um, you know, very academic papers about the historic roots sure. of musical instruments. And we, we presented this thing, and, and, and then the so what thing came, kind of came to life, mm -hmm. because there were all these academics who were trying to share their work with the general public and mm -hmm. make the public understand it, but they were struggling because it's hard to make something like that understandable. And here we were mm -hmm. with this book, and we suddenly thought, well, what more can we do by making, maybe adding this mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. to make it meaningful mm -hmm. to people who, who aren't used to reading academic papers? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where Ragnar came from. Mm -hmm. Even though he's French, he was born in Italy. <laughs> but you know, I remember <laughs> picking that book up, and I actually had it a year ago. I picked it up at a music conference. Uh, I think it must have been the Indiana a Music Ed Conference. Mm. And you guys weren't there, but mm. your book was. And I picked it up and looked through it. And of course, it, this one had the uh, the big map, yeah. uh, the chronological uh, mm -hmm. of, of the trumpet. Uh, but I was drawn to it because uh, I was just excited for, wow, this is great. I'm teaching college. But I mm -hmm. thought, this is still really a, a applicable t for my own students, mm -hmm. my own college mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, if you're, you want... 18, 19, 20-year-olds looking at this, I, it's still going to be fun. You yeah, might have right. designed it for third graders. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I think it works really well uh, for any age. And you said you're, what do you call um, lifelong learners. You're, yeah. you're using. Yeah. So what do they think? If you use the book there, what do they think of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we've ever had, even with the kind of the high schoolers who, are, who could generally be thought to be the most sort of challenging, mm -hmm. discerning audience, if you like, mm. They've, they've enjoyed the book, yeah, haven't they? Absolutely. I mean, lifelong learners enjoy it because it's, you know, a lot of it is history. Mm -hmm. But I think the other thing is, um, and then I'll shut up and you can talk, but um, <laughs> the other thing is, like, when I've wandered around those conferences, you know, the Mid Midwest and others, mm -hmm. and you go to the music books, the publications, every single musical history book starts in the Renaissance. It's like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, music suddenly starts in mm -hmm. 1400. There was nothing before it. Mm -hmm. and, and kids are learning that all of a sudden music starts then. And of course, that's just simply not true. And I mean, our book shows mm -hmm. the most important part and, and makes you think about where does music even come from? Why do people make sounds? Mm -hmm. And that to me and, and, and you mm -hmm. is far more important than mm -hmm. kind of like having these concocted tunes in a book that appear in, <laughs> uh, you know, the Renaissance period. Mm -hmm. So I think... I didn't see any other books that actually tell you, you know, college students, well, you've said trumpet players don't really understand the history, mm -hmm. um, about that stuff. And how important that is. You know, I, it, it, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this now, but I'm thinking, you know, uh, for me, now this is going to change, of course, mm -hmm. with all this, but for me, I wanted to make sure that my students, of course, learn the Haydn, the Hummel, and the Neruda, mm -hmm. three very important concerti, of course. Mm -hmm. But now I can back up a couple hundred years, mm -hmm. or, or even further, if we want to really mm -hmm. get uh, down to the, the shofar and even uh, mm -hmm. other. Um, what was that? That's just late 17th, 18th century, right, mm -hmm. that we're, we're exploring right. at that it's point. It's really modern human yeah. history. So uh, how has this book been received by your peers? What's, uh, have you had any feedback? Um. I guess, I mean, I think very well. Uh, it's bringing so many things together. Uh, I, you know, I, a lot of the people that have worked with us on this book, uh, I think have been really inspired because of the scope of the project. I think everyone is learning something they didn't know and seeing it in a format that can somehow convey these things to children, mm -hmm. I think is exciting for people. Um, it, it, it's like Kiersey said, it's hard to get kids excited about history. And, you know, I, I always go back to like when I taught beginners and I've taught for some reason, a lot of very young beginners and, and you're teaching, you know, whole notes. And then I want them to play a D and I have them push the first and the third valve down and they're playing a harmonic too high. And I said, no, play lower here. Try it on your mouthpiece. So, and finally they get it, and I'm like, good job, you played a D. And then, it, you know, and I think back on that, and I'm like, well, so what? You know, what does that mean to them right now? They're learning something for sure, but if we put a more prim primitive instrument in their hand and tie it to something that is connected to the origins of music, 
the origins of why people did this, uh-huh. you know, because lip-blown instruments are just pervasive all over the world, but every cultural context throughout human history. Uh-huh. And that, that's fascinating to me. And a lot of them were probably independently, you know, I don't think they all uh, came from Africa. I mean, that some people think that they may have, but there was a lot of, indi- indi- what do you call it, independent origination mm. of these uh-huh. instruments throughout the world. And, you know, to give a student a, a horn and say, okay, play this note and play, play a sound that is going to let people know that something very important is about to happen, right? It puts their mind in a completely different framework than push down this valve and this valve, now play that, nope, nope, blow a little harder. Oh, you got the right note, good job. You know, it's like, why do we make sound to begin with? I think is a really good question to ask. Yeah. And, and then now when I play the Haydn trumpet concerto, I'm just immediately asking all kinds of questions. You know, like, why, why is this, what context, you know, this, the instrument was written, I mean, the instrument is actually a natural trumpet with keys. Mm-hmm. It's a long trumpet, right? So it had that sonority. You know, what, what is the context of this music and how does it relate to other music that is being composed at this time? You know, I think the more we look at the history, the more we try to learn and, and then we can express so much more when we play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it, you know, I think it really helps to inform, you know, what we do as learners or performers. I mean, um, I, I've run by, in, in terms of my peers, I've, I've run the book by various sort of scholars, not just scholars of music history, but, but just mm. scholars of history and anthropology. And some of them have actually been faculty members um, at Northwestern whose kids have learned the program. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a couple of things that have come out of that. First of all, I mean, the information that you're trying to give to children is obviously very different than the information that you might share with, um, with well, teachers and with then grout acad- and academics, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I've, you know, I've gone through and put loads of footnotes in the in the kind of the teacher version. Mm-hmm. But the the truth of it is that much of it we don't know, right? And then you have to make a decision. Well, if we don't know something, does that mean we can't talk about it? Hmm. And so, like you mentioned, the origins in Africa. Um, a lack of evidence that there were no lip-blown instruments in Africa doesn't mean that there weren't lip-blown instruments in Africa. Mm-hmm. And that, in and of itself, is mm-hmm. an interesting point for students to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how these instruments and the knowledge travelled around the world, cultural contact, mm-hmm. that, again, is a huge theme in social sciences. Mm-hmm. That even if a kid, even if a student doesn't care about playing a musical instrument and they don't care about history, they can think about the transmission of goods and trade and mm. things like that, mm-hmm. or even their own family connections mm. to different parts of the world. So there are many ways in which this touches people mm. um, in significant ways without being just, well, play, play Jingle Bells for the Christmas concert because mm-hmm. I said so <laughs> type thing. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's more to it than mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you guys and I'm just... Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know, energized and excited, you know, for the possibilities. And, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, where were you guys when I was starting band? And where yeah. were you guys when I was, you know, was this, that, and the other? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I guess uh, I'm going to back up, you know, when I said, what do your peers think about it? And I really was kind of thinking you've got grout and all the other dry. I mean, let's face it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, very dry. Mm. And this. But this, what you've created is just beautifully done it mm. well, is there going to be an expansion on that book will you is are things we in the already works have the whole story written for volume two. Oh no kidding yeah it's i think it's actually quite a bit better than volume one we'll but tell you we'll have to tell you <laughs> yeah we will it's a it, state it, secret it, it's so. a bit like the, you know the harry potter series of mm-hmm. game of thrones that we, can't, we cannot divulge well actually well it's a good thing i don't have anything <laughs> recording you guys <laughs> this right now <laughs> it, I'll, I'll, I'll i'll just give one hint um the female protagonist in volume one ends up taking over in volume two. Uh-oh. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I actually, you brought something I just heard from one of our local teachers. She told, she shared a really, really nice story. Um, the She decided to try it at the end of the year with second grade. We didn't really think that second grade, it would be appropriate for them, but she wanted to try it. So in the last unit of this year, she cycled it through the whole second grade group, and they did unit one. And if you know the end of unit one, that's when Ragnar disappears from the upper Paleolithic world. Spoiler. 
yeah if, if anybody hasn't re yeah read the yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> sorry about that um, but i won't say any more sure and she stopped her her students at the end of the year there and they're going out of their minds cliffhanger wanting to know <laughs> what happens I and mean, if they knew that all you have to do is go on the website to hearragnar.com you can hear the whole story oh, narrated by a Game of Thrones actor named Carl Davies. No kidding. Yeah, he does an amazing job on it. Um, he was in Chernobyl as well. Yeah, we just saw him get, yeah. well, Yeah, he didn't last very long. That was, a short, that was a short. Uh, well, everybody yeah. died a horrible death in Game of Thrones, That's too, true. right? That's yeah, true. Yeah, he, he died, died a horrible death that. there. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, he did, he did a fabulous job. Mm. Um, really, you know, it's not, you know, he's not condescending with the children. He's like, you know, it's very... Uh, West Brian Deary. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a really great approach. Mm -hmm. um, but I could imagine somebody like Morgan Freeman <laughs> yes. being your, your voiceover well, person and when, for this. And when yeah. we, we've already had this discussion, because it's very important that mm -hmm. when we make the film version, that <laughs> Kit Harrington has to play. Uh, she looks, yeah. yeah, all right. <laughs> well... I, I don't know. Do? I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah, I mean, I it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen uh, season eight yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, I know how everything turns out. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, let's get back to the instruments for yeah. a second. So, designed really for a third grader, the the book was. But you're also, mm -hmm. you think about starting brass uh, beginners on brass instruments. Third grade's typically not a good place to do it. The instruments are big. Mm -hmm. They're heavy. They're heavy. And, and hard operating. to balance and operate, and you've mm -hmm. kind of taken care of that. I, I'd like to think so. Um, I mean, it, this all seems like it happened just out of need, kind of almost accidentally, because we realized that this natural instrument was just really efficient way to teach beginners. There's just no distractions, you know, and you can really, and the harmonic series of the natural trumpet has all those critical intervals, you know, sol, do, mi, sol, just that by itself we have to be able to navigate those intervals at any length of instrument, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's all they're doing in the beginning, then when they get to an instrument that changes length, they've already done the hardest part. Because when you, when you start a student on an in, uh, instrument with mechanism, you know, there are just too many things to deal with at once. And I've always felt like it was very uninspiring. Not that they're not learning something, but I always felt like it was slow going, and by, by doing this first, when they get a modern instrument, they just hit the ground running. They can hear, they can connect that to pitch vibration, they can articulate, they can move around the harmonic series, and they have a creative reason for making sound. Mm -hmm. Which, when do you talk about that with a beginner on a modern instrument? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you making that sound? But the, you know? yeah, I think even from a technical aspect, mm -hmm. uh, just having to, uh, you've got a wide target, having mm -hmm. just a, those, those low harmonics to yep. lock in you know it's easy much easier mm -hmm. to hit those and there's no temptation to play the wrong fingering mm -hmm. you know, and, and right. get a different note yeah. um, and you know I'm thinking I, I bought some of these to incorpor incorporate into my own teaching studio mm -hmm. and I'm thinking one of the ways I can use these is when I get a student who has a hard time hearing those partials mm -hmm. is you know what let's put your, your three valve instrument away mm -hmm. and let's get this instrument out and just kind of hone back into mm -hmm. the basics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a valuable thing. But if you can do it from the very beginning, even better. You're setting mm -hmm. a much more solid foundation. Right. I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of putting the most important thing at the beginning, in a way. You know, our ability to hear and reproduce pitches and intervals that the instrument will play. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's very efficient, actually. So, Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. You know, uh, a purist might say, well, why didn't you start at 4.30 or 4.15? But 440, I mean, to me it seems logical, you know, because yeah. you're, you're going to incorporate eventually into a 440 world, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I mean, if you think about it, we're, we have to be able to play that harmonic series at any length of instrument, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So we're, essentially we're a transposing instrument just by nature of our mechanism, right? So 
as long as they can they can hear and navigate a perfect fourth, they're going to be able to do that whatever length of their instrument is. Mm-hmm. So I don't, the reason we put it in C was just because in B flat, the low, the G below the staff is low. It's, it's hard, it's a very long instrument, and it's hard to get an instrument without having a really long conical portion of the bell that will get that mm-hmm. G in tune. So the C really was good, and it turned out to be also good because all the other general music classroom instruments are pitched in C. Mm-hmm. So we have people using it with, um, uh, like, backtracks doing C blues, trading riffs, which <laughs> is really totally uh, uh, possible. And yeah, because you've got like that seventh riff, in there that yeah, you can that works beautifully, right? You can just trade riffs, and they're not worrying about anything but mm-hmm. style and listening again right mm-hmm. um what else yeah so in development mm-hmm. development of this first instrument did you have in any input into what it should look like or i mean were you doing research into this to help with that no, well my my research was that i had two glasses of wine and then trying to play the instrument and i noticed <laughs> that there was a correlation a sort of measurable correlation between the number of glasses of wine i had and the number of notes i could play Hmm. So uh, that was about the we extent don't, We didn't of put my... that in the book for the kids. But... No. <laughs> yeah, okay, volume three. That'll <laughs> volume come out in three. volume three. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I, for a while, when we, when we had the, the original hose horn instruments, where actually you can see one, the kind of the tail end oh, yeah. up there, we, we, I did have some input a little bit with, you mm-hmm. know, the different, like the tape. We, kids wanted different colored tape on the, on the hose, and we, we had pirate tape and... <laughs> um, you know, Fourth of July tape, which obviously I didn't really mm-hmm, care for, mm-hmm. but um, but no, I mean, I think most of it's been function, and that's mm-hmm. really you. Well, one thing you actually hearing you talk reminded me of is that we made it black just because it was the cheapest alternative. So hmm. we're just we were trying to make the best responding, you know, best playing, lowest cost instrument possible. Mm-hmm. That's that was our goal, and. And, and so making it in one color was the cheapest thing to do. And it turned out that it being in black, it's so neutral. And so in the classroom, it's again, it's just one less thing to distract, right? Mm. It's like everyone's instrument looks exactly the same. I've got a it's silver just, one. Oh, mine's not silver. Yeah, right. I mean, there's no right, there's competition. There's no red and whatever color. Sure. And it's just one more thing that actually I, uh, I really like seeing a classroom full of kids with this instrument mm-hmm. because again it feels like the con- the the focus is more on what you do with it yeah. you know rather than it, it being like some shiny well know, and it also it it makes it less like it's a toy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um yeah it's not like a bath toy you know mm-hmm. yeah so but uh we went to actually we had some problems with the bell and we went to you're talking about the polycarbonate yeah, version the polycarbonate right? version mm-hmm. And we went to um, Scotland and met with um, Murray Campbell, Murray Campbell, and Arnold Myers, and they helped to redo the math on the bell. And that the whole idea was to get that the lowest, you know, the the lowest partials really in tune, mm-hmm. so that they don't, you know, there's no need to kind of move the pitch to get it really, really good intervals, really good clean intervals. We we should explain though we. So we met Murray, Murray Campbell's um, professor of acoustics at University of Edinburgh. And we met him and Arnold through um, EMAP, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, Murray invited us to, to stay with him and his wife. And so I, I actually spent most of the time talking to his wife, she's a lovely lady. Mm-hmm. And you and Murray were up till all hours, <laughs> like just, just testing, why not just Mm-hmm. constant constant testing of the he had all the acoustic equipment at his house and then we went out and had haggis balls and beer <laughs> and then we came back and they carried on for another mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. many hours yeah. and um it was it's, all computer it's, modeling yeah it was i mean it's and accurate so it's really so we got something that we thought was the best compromise and we turned it into a tool mm-hmm. and it turned out really good well the so. the polycarbonate really consistent mm-hmm. instrument to instrument i mean if if mm-hmm. you don't have any bending or uh hammering and annealing to do to something then you're, <laughs> right you're yeah. a little more consistent that way yeah so 
Um, from then, when did you decide to uh, make a brass version? Well, I, actually, I had been, you know, dis, uh, kind of doing that all along for like the last 15 years. So I had, first I had students making their own. They would go out and buy a junk trumpet and they would kind of, hmm. you know, rig it up. I made some instructions and I wanted to find a way to get a vented yard in it. So I came up with a way of doing that. And then eventually, I mean, that whole played pretty well. So we thought, well, why don't we try to see if we can find somebody to make crooks for us. And so there's a horn maker locally here who we've been working with now for a while. And we make the vented yards here mm -hmm. and the bushings um, just so that, you know, we can kind of always be testing and tweaking things if we need to. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of come together over time and the, the horn plays really well. Mm. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, we've had, we've had uh, look, we have some you know various broke players that are playing them, but now I think what we're really excited about is the possibility for playing a classic repertoire mm -hmm. because you can make the horn shorter and shorter, you can mm -hmm. crook it up, mm -hmm. and with a broke trumpet you can only get it up to D four forty. If you want something shorter than that, you got to buy enough trumpet and crook it down. Mm -hmm. So that's two broke trumpets. Mm -hmm. With ours, you have those two, mm -hmm. and for just a fraction of the cost, it's not meant to be authentic but it is an authentic experience yeah right yeah. so you're going to get those critics out there who mm -hmm. are making the replicas who are going to say yeah but uh you go back to ray riccamini winning an audition it's like well mm -hmm. why do i need a replica when mm -hmm. i can play this and this instrument sounds just as good and is going to fit the bill i mean if you think to the early 19th century you know just like look at the Dauvernier. you know they're they're just it's exploding with, they're, they're just looking for instruments that they could play the repertoire on, right? Mm -hmm. And if the instrument is allowing you to play the repertoire, you know, what, like right now I've heard that in England, the Baroque specialists are using modern mouthpieces. Um, I'm not going to say any names of people that... <laughs> well, but Ray did but, on his, yeah. and I know uh, yeah. uh, Pickett... Mm -hmm. uh, is has made some replicas for you is that with mm -hmm. a modern trumpet shank with a modern trumpet shank so it'll fit yeah. the the period aspect on the mm -hmm. where it meets the lips and will meet your instrument yeah definitely uh, so fit we, on the we, other end a lot of people are going to find why brook mouthpieces might you know there are there are attributes that you're not going to get on a modern mouthpiece mm -hmm. and and some people are going to want to take that step so mm -hmm. we're going to provide options for that and um, speaking of mouthpieces yeah. uh, um on the the polycarbonate, you offer the trumpet. There's also a horn, mm -hmm. uh, right. funnel yeah. mouthpiece that'll fit. Well, and we then have a, a horn. Yeah, we have prototypes, but we have a little adapter right now. But then we also have a low brass. Mm -hmm. We're 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 getting close to finishing those, and that we made really for teachers that wanted to, like a trombone teacher that would like to teach this, but he mm -hmm. doesn't want to mess around with a trumpet mouthpiece. You know, but I look at that yeah. like for brass tech. I mean, you could start almost everybody on. Yeah. The trumpet with a specific, and maybe change the mouthpieces, and then yeah, move sure. move from there out in different mm -hmm. directions from there. Absolutely. Well, I think also when they when they did that pilots program in England in mm. London for the London Music Hubs, they found that the some kids just just do much better just right from the outset with mm -hmm. a bigger mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. and um, they're, they're more likely to perhaps succeed, not necessarily stay mm -hmm. on a trumpet, but move on to another low brass instrument. Well, I think even even if, if some kids at that age might not have their, their permanent front teeth yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, so that bigger mouthpiece is going to accommodate, accommodate that a little bit better, right? Yeah. So, mm. um, you know, I don't think any uh, anybody playing on a, a replica would ever have dreamt of the ability to play stopped mm -hmm. and in a video oh, you yeah, put out sure. not long ago was it was it academic festival mm -hmm. overture uh, mm -hmm. you demonstrated that <laughs> stopping is possible mm -hmm. and you know uh, Mazorski wrote uh, for stop, uh, stopped gestopft mm -hmm. in uh, nine on bald mountain and I think there's some Mahler that calls for that and you know okay think back to maybe the low E flat or F horns they had yeah might have been possible at that point but oh, totally yeah but your instrument now uh -huh allows for that obviously yeah. it, I mean it, there are some people whose arm is not going to be long enough to reach in unfortunately and I couldn't figure out how to make it any shorter than it is in terms of its overall but I think most people can stop mm -hmm. this trumpet um, 
And I mean, we've just started a whole other project right now. We're actually getting uh, all the kind of like late 18th, early 19th century composers trumpet repertoire up so that you can see every trumpet part that they wrote and what key they're in. Hmm. And we're cross-referencing so you can look at the key of E flat, see in, in a list of composers hmm. by order, all of the pieces that are written for E trumpet crooked in E flat. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing is that, you know, if you're thinking about Beethoven, he does write the 11th partial, not often, but he writes it. And all the horn players when they were playing that, they were they were stopping it, right? They were tempering it with, with their hand, and here are the trumpet players next to him playing in octaves with the horns most often. You know what were they doing? I mean, oh, you had to they, manipulate the embouchure to as best you could, right? To well, to I find mean, that note. It, you know, try it, see if you can do it. I mean, the more time I spend playing classical parts, if I can put my hand in the bone, just make that pitch go right where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Why? Why wouldn't you do it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I was surprised how nice the sound was. Yeah, we have machines going on here. That's okay. It just proves that, <laughs> it proves to um, mm -hmm. my wife that I was actually someplace I said I was going to be today, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, you're, you're making more crooks for mm -hmm. different keys. Yep. Um, of course... I'm, I'm trying to imagine the first Brandenburg Concerto being performed on one of these. The, you mean the second one? Uh, sorry, well, no, I'm not the first concerto, but the oh. first performance of. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I meant to, I to come, have that come out. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole can of worms, too, because some people you know, don't think that it was written for trumpet. I, I think the consensus now is that it... Yeah, you know what? I don't care. We're going to play it on trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, where, it's where it's most exciting. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, what I think is kind of interesting is like when Bach goes to Leipzig and the trumpet players are allowed to play instruments other than the trumpet, um, they start playing the horn because it was the trumpet players who played those high horn parts. And they were, you know, I don't know how they tempered those notes. Mm. But some people I've been talking to that there's some new thinking that maybe the coiled instruments were being used for hand stopping. Um, I guess Rika, you know, the famous painting with Rika holding mm -hmm. the coiled instrument. Some people say that oh, his fingers are there covering holes. You know, I I don't see any holes. I don't know. I mean, there's no evidence of holes in those instruments as far as I know. Mm -hmm. But it's possible that they were hand stopping. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, throughout history, what have we done as players? We've done whatever we have to to get the part played, right? So I'm just thinking, you know, if you could stick your hand in the bell and make that note sound mm -hmm. the same as the violins sound, that's probably what you do. So here's a really horrible pun. Yeah. You said we've done whatever we need to by hook or crook. <laughs> by hook or crook. I know, that's yeah. that's horrible. But, Depending uh, on the key. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, you obviously enjoy what you're doing. Well, I say obviously. Mm -hmm. It's obvious to me. It seems like uh, <laughs> I, I know it's hard work, mm -hmm. but um, it seems like mm -hmm. some very exciting stuff that that's going on. And yeah, um, we've had a lot of. Um, I mean, you know, there's been times when we wanted to throw things at each other, but we've had a lot <laughs> of fun writing it. Mm -hmm. I think you know when you get to a stage in your career where you kind of, I mean, you're always learning something, but then at some point you want to give back and share it with others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there'll probably be three people in the entire planet and maybe not even that many who will read my dissertation, right, on 19th century, uh, you, you know, precursors to the Economist Journal. But, <laughs> but mm -hmm. by doing a project like this, you can kind of make... Mm -hmm both the things that we both love hopefully mm -hmm. meaningful mm -hmm. to others and mm -hmm. inspire others well, to mm -hmm. kind of... You talk about sharing, but uh, don't you guys, you go around and you train, you'll you'll meet with teachers and, mm -hmm. and show them how to take them through mm -hmm. this, is it the entire book, or do you just give an introductory lesson well, to them? I mean, or? our first teacher training was last summer for local teachers here, and now we're doing a bigger one. We're partnered with Northeastern Illinois University. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to do, you know, for, um, what do you call it, uh, PD credits. Mm -hmm. So people can come and they can learn. And hopefully, you know, whether or not they're interested in 
teaching breast for beginners, hopefully this will be a good model mm -hmm. so they can think about how they can bring interdisciplinary uh, aspects into other things that they're already doing. Mm -hmm. um, but our teacher resources are really extensive. Right now they're all online, but the curriculum maps and the assessments and the lesson plans and the, I, it's, it's really extensive actually. Mm -hmm. um, kind no, of well, as I was saying, what's kind of interesting is that, and, and again, this didn't occur to me uh, until we started this project, is that, you know, I, I taught social sciences um, and uh, for me, talk, talking about civilizations, you know, long durée history, short durée history, is kind of what my training taught me to do. Your training is, is in music, and then when you ask a music teacher to suddenly start talking about mm -hmm. social sciences, it doesn't come naturally <laughs> how, mm -hmm. to, how to kind of get a dialogue right. going with students and how to explain mm -hmm. source material. Mm -hmm. And likewise, I mean, right. there's no way I could teach music. And, and yet you're asking through this project for teachers with a different skill set to basically take on board mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's been a kind of an interesting aspect to it. And also, I mean, like the, the case in England, getting other, which administrators love, getting other teachers in their school involved in this project, mm. because mm -hmm. it's truly interdisciplinary mm -hmm. when you can involve, uh, you know, social sciences, the science department, the math department, languages, the English language arts. The librarians. Librarians, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, so, so mm -hmm. um, that for me, again, is probably the most well, that, exciting. That's why we have so many teacher resources, because mm -hmm. You know, it's it's easy to talk, just throw around words like interdisciplinary, cross-curricular, but how do you do it yeah. is a whole other thing. Well, it sounds like you've thought yeah. that through. You've actually created mm -hmm. those resources. You said lesson yeah. plans. You've got yeah. everything everything there for them. Mm -hmm. um, how long is a typical teacher training? We're just doing one day, four hours, each hour on a different topic mm -hmm. this time around. And, you know, we'll... We're really just getting started, so. Mm -hmm. But we've been yeah. working with teachers, uh, kind of one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one as well, and they've come back. And we, we, th this is an ongoing project. This is not. This is a constant work in progress. Mm -hmm. So they've mm -hmm. given us as much feedback about things that have worked mm -hmm. for them and haven't worked, and that's crucial for us because we need to be. It needs to be constant mm -hmm. uh, re re uh, adaption mm -hmm. and uh, and kind of change. Um, I mean, even just bringing in different technologies into the classroom that they've done, like um, Art, um, Art mm -hmm. was doing Kids Rock and huh. other things that they can share amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, uh, I can see us writing, this This is not the last edition of the book, there'll be <laughs> 20 more editions yep. of the book yeah, as well, we go. Yeah, we're already taking notes for the next one. Well, you'll, yeah. you'll have, uh, in uh, Siegfried's style, you'll have uh, Ragnar's funeral Right, oh. uh, all of Wagnerian, yeah. but all on natural trumpets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think they mm. could bear it. The kids could bear it. If you to do that. Yeah, they would be It'd sad. Be well, you so know what? Protective. I never said my ideas were good. <laughs> I there I have a lot of ideas. Some of them are viable. In, we do have a funeral march. In, in in fallen soldiers. Well, oh, there's the last song in the book is sad. It's song yeah. for uh, fallen soldiers. Mm -hmm. It's actually based on Mahler three. Mm. Yeah. Post horn oh my gosh! Yeah, I immediately <laughs> went there and thought, uh, "Can you imagine now playing the post horn?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, on on one of your instruments. I mean, well, that's... you can't play that on a natural trumpet. Oh, I that sense one. that as a yeah. challenge. There's a yeah. challenge. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> not even with vents. No, you can't. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you do hit on a good point though. That I mean, so much of music is written right for occasions. So mm -hmm. celebrating, mm -hmm. um, you know, c commiserating, you know, memorializing. Mm -hmm. And in the book, all of yeah. those elements come out. And, mm -hmm. and, and like every good Shakespearean novel that, you know, you've got sex and, you know, violence and mm -hmm. death and all those. I mean, that's actually in the book, maybe in a kid-friendly way, but you mm -hmm. do have like this tension between Ragnar and his girlfriend mm -hmm. um, who's in the book and you have you know fighting and war and you have disease death. and death and so I mean it's, it's got all the components of a sort of juicy novel for mm -hmm. second mm -hmm. graders yeah. okay so let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about kids reaction to this mm. what's what have you seen what, is, what have you enjoyed 
watching. You know, when we started uh, this year's local uh, programs, I've, we've been able to go into the different classrooms and see the teachers work with the kids. That is a whole other issue that's very interesting. But watching the students just sitting there absorbed in the book, just flipping through it, you know, in this age where when do you see a child like looking at a book, you know, they're always looking at some electronic device, you know, now it's the Chromebook, but just seeing them actually flipping through a book and enjoying looking at it and asking questions, you know, mm -hmm. about what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's nice to see. Um, and I, you know, the, the thing I brought up before, oh, well, a story was relayed to me from one of the teachers that was really nice. One of the uh, one of the little girl that was chosen to do this event that we did for kind of the more motivated students, um, she read ahead and finished the whole book, and she went to her teacher and said, you know, the thing about this book is that in every chapter, it's not just a story, but they're teaching you something about how to learn music. <laughs> and she started listing off these things in the book, you know, and she's a third grader. And I thought, wow. I hope the teachers will also see that because, you know, that's exactly what we're trying to get across. And we didn't really know if it was going to get across. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. hearing that a third grader figured that out was pretty exciting. But, yeah, they, by all accounts, they love the story, mm -hmm. which is, I think, what gets them in. And then it just makes them really excited to make sound, mm -hmm. right? So, And you've both been in the classroom to see these? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, there's a couple of things, actually. The, the, the first is when kids, they pick out, even if they're not, again, they're not musical, they couldn't really care less about history, <laughs> but there's something in that material that triggers something in them, whether it's, oh, I learnt about that in my Spanish class, and that, bing, mm -hmm. or my family has one of those at home, mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. else about it, interdisciplinary, in yeah, yeah, something about the interdisciplinary material that then makes them excited about this. That's mm -hmm. really important. And the other, mm -hmm. the other one, actually, I was thinking about the, the conferences that we've done. Um, th there's something, again, magical about when you get a gang of high schoolers from who come to our booth, mm -hmm. and, you know, 16-year-old boys who are just so excited mm -hmm. about the, this trumpet. And then they keep coming back and back. And then well, you watch. I'm not 16, but you watched me walk up to your booth <laughs> and how how excited I got about everything. Yeah, and, then, and then now this is the coolest thing, and you're like, mm -hmm. that you, you, you know, they should yeah. be playing video games and standing on street corners, you know, yeah. sort of kind of buying illicit substances. And instead, they are there getting excited about a natural trumpet. That yeah. to me is fantastic. Which is a bridge, you know, which is really a bridge to understanding a little deeper what we do, you know, and. and the roots of what we do. I mean, you cannot look at romantic orchestral literature without seeing that it all comes from the natural trumpet. Mm -hmm. You know, it does. And and I think the more, you know, people understand that, the more they can bring into their playing. And if you get a chance to actually play one, it really does inform a lot of things about, you know, how to play the trumpet. That's something that even I, I'm learning more and more every day, like, especially as I'm trying different crooks. I'm like, oh my gosh, this horn is so different in this key. I feel like I have to play it different, you know? Mm -hmm. I hear horn players talk about that, mm -hmm. um, that each crook has a different color, like Brahms, you know, he, he wrote with that in mind, but, you know, to actually experience it is different, right? When you're actually playing the horn in A, it's like, wow, this is different. This has a certain color. This has a way I have to play it. Like, it really informs the way, what you do. So, in, on a parallel, mm -hmm. um, John Williams, of course, is extremely popular, and, and, you know, that might be the understatement of the year, or the decade, or the millennium. <laughs> but uh, we did an all-John Williams concert in one of the orchestras I play in, and he writes for B-flat and C-trumpet. And so I told the section, I said, you know what, on the things he wrote for B-flat, we're going to play B-flat, and things he wrote for Ooh, C. Because yeah. I'm thinking, he's got a certain sound, mm -hmm. otherwise he's just going to write, or whoever orchestrates is going to write it for whatever. And... Uh, you know, for whatever. I mean, we did it. Mm. I think it worked just fine. But that goes back to exactly what you're saying, is that those composers had that certain color, that timbre mm -hmm. in mind. You know, why did Mozart choose D trumpet for mm -hmm. uh, most of what he wrote? You know, I mean, that was the, that was the color, definitely, that he wanted. Mm. Um, uh, I know you've got ITG coming up mm. uh, ju in just about a month. 
you're going to do a presentation there, is that correct? You've got yeah, we're presenting the beginner's program. Exhibits, mm -hmm. uh, you'll have your booth there, we'll but you're going to do a program. Um, and I'm hoping, did did we say yes, that you're going to be able to come November 18th yeah, we'll, down to we'll UND? It's in our schedule. So um, Monday's a good, good day, actually. Well, it's a great day for us, too, because yeah. it's two days following Bands of America finals. So mm -hmm. hopefully all the kids are done with marching band at that point, mm -hmm. and we're going to have a great, great turnout. And it's mm -hmm. St. Monday. St. Monday in the 18th century and 19th century was the day that you recover from a hangover. So you'd have... <laughs> the last thing you need Saturday is trumpet players on that day. St. <laughs> Monday was the day when no one actually went to work. So. Yeah. Oh, my good gosh, that's thing. funny. So, well, you know, I'm looking forward. I, I want to be able to try to catch your session in, mm. in uh, Miami, uh, but I'm looking forward to having you come and speak at our conference, uh, mm. present at our conference as well. Will you be uh, in Miami? I absolutely will. Yes, mm -hmm. and uh, the rest of your crew, Jason and, and others will be. Jason won't for that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, well, you know, we've talked a lot about the instrument in the book, concept. I, I haven't talked a whole lot about you guys, which just means mm. I'm going to have to come back and find another time to sit <laughs> down and find out more about you. I mean, obviously, extremely talented. Mm. Um, congratulations on everything, and I'm just I'm so excited to see uh, what's going to happen, and I'm excited mainly because now I get to incorporate it into my into my studio and, yeah. and see what happens there. Thank so. you very much. Yeah, it's exciting. I really appreciate uh, mm. the time today. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. All right, thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio hfl and one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes merchandise and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link thanks again for listening and i hope you come back for more great interviews